Well, we're going to dig in. We got a little bit of ground to cover, and I want to maximize the time. Let's stand together if you don't mind. Again, I'd like to go into John chapter 1. I've been given uh, the task to talk about our love for our neighbor, and I'm going to hit that. Yet I want to lay it out from a real incarnational perspective from our Lord's life. Um, um, John chapter 1, we'll go from verses 35 to 51. I may or may not read all of this, but I want to I wanna dig in and us to walk through this passage a bit during our time as we talk about this reality of our love for our neighbor. Chapter 1 of the book of the Gospel of John, verses 35 to 51. It says, the next time, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Somebody say, follow Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of them who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, ah, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, said to him, follow me. Somebody say, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, man, come and see. (laughs) Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, man. (laughs) Nathanael said to him, oh, rabbi, rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, man, shoot. (laughs) Because I said this to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Man, do do you believe because of that? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's pray. Father, we honor you and thank you for the beauty of the glory of this domino effect in this, these verses. God, I pray that we as believers would holistically internalize the mission of God, that you would teach us to not just use snazzy words to talk about mission, but find ourselves entrenched as a lifestyle, as missionaries to be committed to you in every single area of our life and finding our life rooted in the life, ministry, death, suffering, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be inexplicably uh, uh, clear and a blessing in your sight. Oh God, our strength, our redeemer, who we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? 
Amen. Amen. So I've been given the task to dig in and talk about this idea. You may be seated. You may be seated. To talk about, um, to talk about uh, this idea of our love for our neighbor. Um, one of the things that's beautiful to begin to dive into and look at is the incarnational life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnation, uh, by definition, is uh, the kenosis of Jesus emptying himself of his divine privileges without stop being God, taking on the likeness of sinful flesh without being sinful, and coming and living the life that we could never live and having the most powerful ministry in the universe, dying the death we could not die, uh, getting up from the grave and on the third day. Incarnational ministry points to that reality, and that's what we talk about when we talk about our love for our neighbor. And one of the challenges as uh, believers is for us to live, and the, the panel stole a little bit of the thunder for this, because all of our life is supposed to be viewed as in as missional engagement. In other words, the, the Christian is not called to live a non-synchronized, compartmentalized life where you say, this is my work life, this is my family life, this is my marital life, this is my parenting life, this is my educational life, this is my church life, this is my evangelistic life, this is my devotional life. No, in, 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 in Christ, there, there, there are segments of things that uh, have their particular categories. However, when it comes to the glory of being a good neighbor and loving our neighbor, we should always be in a position to be able to do that. And one of the people on the planet that has done that the best in human history is the Lord Jesus Christ, pointing us to the glorious redemptive nature. Even though we were redeemed by his death and resurrection, he lived a redeeming life. Somebody say a redeeming life. Redeeming life <coughs> points to buying back that which was utilized for messiness for Christ-centeredness. And so as we look at this passage and we begin to see the synoptics and then this being not a synoptic but connected to the Gospels, we see um, that you can't get into anywhere in Scripture and not see Jesus and see who he is. But it's interesting, uh, in his incarnation, you just see it blabbed out a little bit more louder than you would normally see it because it's so explicit, not implicit, as many passages are. And so in Matthew, he is what we would call the Messianic King, Matthew presents him as the, the, the promised king or the king of David, the one who unlocks all of the promises, the messianic promises uh, of all of Scripture is found in Jesus. The book of uh, Mark uh, points us to the fact that he's a suffering servant, and it's a, it's a speedy book. It's almost like a saga of an action thriller because you keep hearing immediately, immediately, immediately. Next thing you know, you're at the end of the book. He's dying. He's up from the grave. Boom. He's given instructions. Suffering servant. But then you look at Luke, and he's presented as the Son of Man, pointing to the fact that he is the promised one who was uh, to be God, but become man and show off the beauty of his care and his commitment for humanity as the Messiah. But here in John, John makes no mistakes. See, a lot of people out there don't mind Jesus Christ being a king. A lot of people out there don't mind Jesus being a suffering servant. A lot of people out there don't mind if he's the son of man. But when you get to the book of John, even though it's implicitly in the other passages, in those other books, when you get here, he wants to promote something not different but in unison and unity with what we've heard through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptics. John, John says, yo, I'm going to big him up as the God of the universe. 
Matter of fact, they're going to start their books on genealogies and ministry. I'm going to start it in the cosmic place where Jesus was chilling in his eternal majesty, creating everything. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Him and his eternal flyness. John presents the eternality of the great God, but then he talks about his divine humiliation or humbling where this, this one who, when God the Father spoke, was the one who accomplished what God said. When God said, let there be light, Jesus, the Word, went into darkness and snatched light out of nothing. When, when God said, let, 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 there, let there be a water, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, spread out water out of nothing. When it was land, the Word went out. Everything that God said, Jesus accomplishes. That's the beauty of Christ. And so, but, but, but the beauty of this passage is that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's skeneoed. He pitched a tent, as scholars would say. He dwelt among us. The Bible says we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten God of the Father, full of grace and truth. Though, uh, and in other words, this majestic, co-equal, eternal being tucks his Shekinah in a skin suit. And so now we find him now here in this passage, in such a simple place, living in mundane life. He comes out of the obscurity of carpentry and being at home with mama to now becoming and showing off his gospel ministry and the cascading commitment of being a disciple maker and a neighbor hunter. Jesus hunted after neighbors and he hunted after neighbors because every neighbor was a potential disciple. So here we go in this passage in looking at this. And so we see here in the passage, it says, the next day, John was standing with two disciples. So I want you to imagine John is sitting there and they chilling, talking, John and two of his disciples who had been baptized by the Jordan. They talking to each other, chopping it up. John's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably saying some deep truths about him. It's this dude about to come his name. Uh, he going to be coming after me. I'm telling you, he going to bring the heat. When he come, you think I'm something. Man, this dude come, it's going to be crazy. All of a sudden, the Bible says, and he, and, and he looked at Jesus, and Joe, Jesus is just walking past. Jesus ain't even paying attention. He's just walking. You know, I don't know how Jesus is walking. I don't know if Jesus walked like this. I don't know how he's walking, but he walked past. And when he walked past, John, John says, this the cat I was talking about, man. Right there, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Dudes was like, bet? He was like, bet. So, now you got to understand what John says here. He uses the definite article. He uses the definite article. He doesn't use an indefinite article to describe this one. The reason why, because I don't even know if his disciples caught it, what Lamb even meant. I don't even know if prophetically John even fully understood. I don't know if he was prophetically blabbering based on him just being submissive to the Spirit and just saying it but not really knowing it, right? But when he says the, it changes from a. Uh. Because in the Old Testament, in Tanakh, in uh, Torah, to, uh, 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 and Navihim, and Kethuvim, law, prophets, and writings, what's interesting here is God would always say, go get a ram. Go get a lamb. Go get a calf. But in other words, one among many. But here, something different happens. John doesn't use the article A. He says the. 
pointing to definitive finality. That when this dude comes on the scene, he's going to go beast mode on sin. Because he's going to go beast mode on sin, everybody's sin will be finally taken care of because of the glorious majesty of the greatest neighbor lover in the universe. Jesus Christ is the greatest neighbor lover in the universe. Um, let me see if I can make it plain when we talk about this, duh, you know. Um, in, in Philly, we got people on different levels of finance. I don't know what the financial picture is in here. But everybody here, you know, uh, 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 well, we are, they put stuff on layaway. Y'all heard of layaway? I just want to ask. Anybody heard, put your hand up? Some of y'all are like, I never heard of that. Well, God bless you for you not hearing of it. Um, <clears throat> but layaway is when you can't buy it all up front. <clears throat> so you put it on storage. Like you go to Target or you go to Wally World. Walmart and Target, my bad. And, and you go there, and you put basic payments on it. <laughs> it's not paid off, but you're just putting it on layaway. Well, the Old Testament law system just put sins on layaway. When Jesus Christ came, he paid for the whole thing and got our sins off layaway and wiped the account out. So when John says this, this is beautiful in the passage, because we see the disposition of our Lord, he's just walking past. He's not even trying to big himself up, and look what happens. <laughs> it says, and look, Jesus walked past, behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard this, and they followed Jesus. This is beautiful. Now, you, you gotta, when, when they say this, <clears throat> see, John had already told them, I must decrease, he'll eventually talk about it, I, I must decrease in order that he must increase. But John, the one writing this book, <clears throat> used a phrase that, this is the first time in his book where he uses this idea of follow Jesus. Somebody say follow Jesus. <laughs> um, this terminology is very, very important terminology when it comes to understanding being a good neighbor. And, and not only being a good neighbor, but it starts with being a godly believer based on knowing where your godliness comes from. This terminology of follow Jesus <laughs> really is uh, in a tense where it means a once-for-all action of submission to this actual role. Uh, but what they began to do is when they heard him and they said they began to follow him, this points to something that's going to come up over and over and over and over again in this book, and that's the idea of discipleship. Somebody say discipleship. <laughs> Usually when the word now, there, there's supposed to be a transference here. There's a transference by which a person points people, stops pointing people to them and pointing them ultimately to Jesus. Being a good neighbor is that. Being a good neighbor is pushing people away from yourself and pointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, I mean, I could really end the message there because that's really the reality of what it means to be a good neighbor. You're paying a lot of attention to me, but you think I got this stuff from me? No, I didn't get this stuff from me. I got this some from somebody that's higher than me. It's he, not me, right? And so that whole ideal of what John is even promoting in the passage, and you're going to see a constant domino effect of this in the passage where people are going to just keep pointing you to Jesus. You even heard it in your reading, right? And so in their day, <coughs> this idea um, points to a deep reality of what we call of disciple-making. In other words, um, there's this idea in which every neighbor is a potential opportunity 
to engage with the glorious gospel in such a way that you have an open life of invitation appointing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I define disciple? I define disciple of Jesus is this one, based on this word follow, based on the comprehensiveness of the past. The disciple is one who has renounced him or herself and pledged their life to being in a lifetime apprenticeship to Jesus Christ. Let me say that one more time. A disciple is one who has uh, renounced him or herself and pledged their life to being in a lifelong apprenticeship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look what happens after this. This is just beautiful stuff. And so what happens is he turned, he, he says, Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, what are you seeking? Now, now I don't know about you, but if some dudes I didn't know, see, I'm, I live in Philly, so I don't know about what it's like in Hawaii. But if some people I don't know following me, I'm probably going to speed up a little bit and not say nothing to them, right? But Jesus, he's not a sucker. So Jesus is walking along. He's doing his thing. He hears, you know, it's gravel and dirt and grass or whatever. So it's not like they got ninja tabby boots on. You know what I'm saying? Where they like tiptoeing behind them. So he hears them. Jesus turned around and said, what y'all seeking? They look at him, and what they don't realize is what we don't realize. Every question that Jesus asks is a question of the heart, not a surface question. In other words, I'd love to do just a series on the questions of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is that Jesus is asking a deep, rich question. He says, what do you seek? If I were to say it in hood language, it means, what do you want for real, for real, Right? And so, and so, in other words, I, 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 why is he asking a, a, a question like this? Well, in their culture, um, they, they had Talmuds, and these Talmuds were people who followed around leaders. So you would have entourages of rabbis, like a rabbi would have on his little cloak, his little joint over his head with the little Hebrew writing coming down like this, and he'd have scroll on his forehead, and he'd be walking, and like a group of dudes would be walking behind him and mimicking every single thing about that person. In other words, when you walk through Jerusalem, it would look strange because you would see different rabbis, you know, everybody, you know, got their little clique of dudes that they with and do that and that type of thing. And as they would begin to walk, people would begin to see that culturally it was mimicking the external actions of the rabbi, but not necessarily functioning in the heart of what the rabbi was about. And so Jesus turns to them and says, what do you want for real, for real? And when he turns around and says, what do you want for real? He said, what, he, what is he trying to say to them? He's trying to say, I don't care what the cultural look-alikeness about external attributes are. I'm really about more than just external mimicking of me because they were walking behind him the same way students of a rabbi or Talmuds will walk behind other people. And so he's pushing them to let you know, if you're going to follow me, we're going to get to some hard stuff. See, being a good neighbor is being able to get to the heart of the matter. <clears throat> that doesn't mean being a jerk, because we as Christians are known for our jerkiness. And so we're, we're, that, that doesn't mean we be a jerk, but that does mean that we earn the right by God's grace to be strengthened to speak the heart issues as God gives beautiful opportunity for you to speak the heart issues. I remember before we moved from where we were, I remember I was, you know, we had a neighbor and um, one of our neighbors and I was all with my wife and I was always trying to figure out how do we kind of get 
this whole love thing going. So we built relationship. We looked out for, you know, it snows other places. I know it doesn't snow here, but it snows other places. So where we are, it snows. And so it was a pretty big snow. It was, it was a thick snow. Matter of fact, it was like two weeks of snow. Now, I'm just telling you, for those of you who have never shoveled snow without a snowblower, that to help somebody with shoveling is love. <laughs> so my wife, being the godly missionary, you know, I just finished hours, so I'm ready to get my cocoa. She got my cocoa ready. I done, I done pulled my gloves off before I get frostbitten and, my, and, and, and everything. I come in the house and my wife was like, babe. I was like, yeah, honey. <clears throat> she said, why don't you um, shovel both of our neighbor's fronts? And so I'm like, babe, they, they out there, they about to come on now. They used to doing this. And um, she said, no, babe, just do it. And I'm, you know, I'm pushing back. I'm like, first off, I'm hot, I'm tired. And she's just like, go do it. And so I, 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 I was obedient to my wife. And so I'm out there shoveling, burning up hot. And I began shoveling and, and, and eventually get it out the way. And you know, people, after you shovel for them for a while, they hold back their shoveling, believing that you're going to shovel for them <laughs> as you build that culture. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, um, as we begin to develop relationship, and they lovingly were good neighbors to us in the sense of human neighboring, and I knew that I wouldn't be a good neighbor unless I began figuring out a way to utilize the common ground of being a neighbor as a way to communicate the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And I can remember, I don't, I don't know why I can stand on a stage and just, you know, clad out, but then when I'm like with a person, I'm, I don't know, with one person, I just freeze up at times, I'm just being honest. I don't know what it is about that, talk in front of a bunch of people and get in front of one person and act like the gospel has no power, right? And, 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 so, and so I'm having to begin to share and engage and push in with this beauty. And as we began to develop relationship and begin to talk and peel back, hopefully some a bit of labors and share the gospel and get to some hearts of the matter. See, that's what God has called us to do. And that's the beauty of what Christ does is Christ begins pushing into uh, these guys and give them the opportunity and he invites them into their life. Look at what he does here. It says... So what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means, uh, he said, where are you staying? And they said, he said to them, come and see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So it was about 4 o'clock p.m. One of the two who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, there's that followed Jesus, he's attached to him now, Simon Peter's brother. Uh, he first found, I love this, his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus took, uh, looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. So it's interesting that the first thing that he does when he encounters Jesus is he's passionate about helping others to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. So Andrew goes to the crib, talks to his brother. And I'm telling you, and you all know that some of the hardest people that to be a neighbor with to tell about Jesus is your family members. 
That's some of the, I don't know what it is. Like, this neighbor is different, but family members, they know you. They're like, oh, so you want some gospel stuff now, right? So, Jesus Christ, hallelujah, Holy Ghost stuff right now. And so, they're really difficult to sort of get in with that. And I, I admit that in my family as we work through that reality. But I like the way Andrew was willing to go and engage his neighbor. And he was able and willing to engage his family member and to not only engage him, but say, listen, don't take my word for it. I'm going to take you to the sphere where he's getting it in. Boom, he meets Jesus. He meets Jesus. He said, he said this is my brother. He said, oh, you're Peter. So that means that he chopped it up with Jesus about, and he already talked to Jesus about his brother. So that means he talked to Jesus about him before he brought him to Jesus. Somebody will get in a second. He talked to Jesus about him before he brought him to Jesus. See, 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 many of us miss that. See, some of us are gospel bazooka ministries. We're like, here, come on. And we're ready to just smoke. But it's interesting that he didn't come in with a gospel bat. He first went to Jesus and talked to Jesus about his family. Many of us, and I've heard different stories from many of you, particularly of you who are first-generation believers. I was, I, I was talking to a guy yesterday, and as he was wrestling through that, I, I, just, I know this is so simple, but I find that many believers just don't do it. Talk to Jesus about your family. Spend time, set aside, don't get, some of you have given up already. See, look at you, I, you don't know my family. They like this, they like, you already done created an apologetic against the savability of your family members. Because you think, because you threw a gospel curve at them, they, didn't, they said, all right, I, your blood ain't on my hands. I done shared the gospel with you. Plat out, it's over, right? No. No, we, we have to, and I, I'm speaking to myself, believe that God's arm is not too short to save. And begin to press into developing relationships. I remember, never forget when I offended my whole, all my, I guess nine siblings. I guess, it's a bunch of us. I sent every one of them, seven of them, uh, 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 six of them a letter. And they were all offended by my letter. But then later on, now that I'm trying to build a relationship with some of us strong because different ones of us have different parents. I come from a very, very broken family. And so there were all types of invisible signals that I didn't know that they were hearing from the way I was looking because I had this newfound faith and I was excited about sharing it with people, but I didn't really talk to the Lord about it. I just wanted to share it with people. And what happened is I began bruising fruit and I had to go back years later and work through it. And so recently I led my sister-in-law to Christ. While she was on her cancer deathbed and one of my siblings who literally, I mean, I don't know what it is. It was like this mounting, I mean, I could never, talking about the gospel, it was almost like, get away from me. You know, you know that little thing in the atmosphere when Jesus' name come up and the room get real thick and you don't think you can really talk about Jesus? And so it's kind of like the shut up diagram comes up in front of your face. And, but this time, God had opened up a beautiful door and gave common ground, and it was an opportunity to talk to like three of my siblings about the gospel at that time. And so this is the beauty of this passage about being committed to the beauty of sharing the gospel. Peter comes, and this is so funny to me. This is, you know, the Bible has all different types of stuff. I want us to loosen up on that. It's interesting. Jesus just meets a guy and gives him a nickname. Like, who does that? But Jesus. Like, as soon as I meet you, oh, 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 this is, this is, this is Simon. Man, your name going to be Pete. That's your name. You're like, what? you like, <laughs> but 
But when Jesus renames someone, he always names you beyond your capacity. Always. And he names Peter Rock. And we know that he's going to be the one that put his toe jam in his mouth more times than anybody in the Bible. Right? But the, th- but the deal is, <coughs> is that Christ, <coughs> this is the beauty of loving our neighbor. Christ doesn't see potential in nobody. He doesn't. See, most of us, see, we like those messages. God sees potential in you, and God wants to pull your potential out and make you everything you were supposed to be because in you is a winner. In you is power. In you is, in you is jacked up mess. <laughs> and the only thing God can see is him getting to you and changing you. That's the vision. So when God talks to Peter, God isn't talking to Peter about his potential. I've heard people say that. Your potential, you ain't got no potential. That's why you need saving. You have none without him. That's why I always say God's the worst picker of people on the planet. He doesn't pick well because he doesn't pick like we would pick. He picks people that nobody would pick and he shows off what it looks like when an unpickable person gets picked by him, he drafts them on the scene, give them power, give them gifts, and unleashes them. Then people are surprised, like, whoa! I couldn't believe it. That's because God cares more about our neighbor than we do. And in him caring more about our neighbor than we do, God is pushing in and encouraging us of the beauty of the gospel. And that's why you always got to be recognizing the effect that it's having on you. Don't ever uh, forget about the, the grace that it took to save you. Some of you, if you look back over your life and you looked at how messy it was, how prideful it was, how far from the peaceful shore it was, but God being rich in mercy, still moving hell and heaven and earth to come get you is a beautiful thing. And so we see here in this passage, we see here, he says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He decided to go to his hometown, a place he didn't like much because of the way they treat him. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip, after he got caught up by Jesus, found Nate. And Nate said to him, I mean, he said to Nate, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathaniel kind of looked up at him and said, that hood? Like the hood of Nazareth? Nothing good can come out of that. He said, come on and check him out. He comes. What's beautiful about this, and he says, Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him. I love this part. This is, see, I like it when people underestimate Jesus and Jesus blows their mind off the Richter scale. He comes, and he's walking towards them. Now, he ain't even got to Jesus yet. See, this is how glorious the Lord is. He said, oh, I see you. I see you, big Nate. I see you. Behold, the Israelite in whom, man, you say, in other words, there's no deceit. One translation say, God. In other words, you say whatever's on your mind, right? And he says that from far away. He said, he said man, how he know me like that? How, how that dude, he don't know me like that. He never met me before. 
Because the glory of Jesus Christ is he, again, gets to the heart of the matter when it comes to the beauty of neighboring. That's the beauty of the gospel is that it gets to the heart of what people deal with. It gets to the heart of the challenges. It gets to the heart of their personality, and it cuts to the quick, and it cuts to the core. And when people find out that God has always known them, known what they're like, yet still bidding them to come, it blows their mind. And neighbors don't slam judgment on people but bring them close to the reins of the Lord Jesus Christ for them to see, to peek into the beauty of what's going on with them so that he can proclaim it to them, challenge them, and see them go from spiritual depth to spiritual life. It was another Muslim we led to Christ a few years back. He was heavy, heavy drug user, bootleg. He used to sell bootleg DVDs. Y'all know what bootleg is, right? Fake. Um, you know, he had the movie before it came out. Always. I mean, I remember when Transformers, the first one coming out. Pastor, I got Transformers. How you got Transformers? They ain't even out yet. He said, that's how I roll, Pastor. That's how I roll. And so, um, like, and you going to ask me to buy? He said, you know, Pastor need a movie and some chill time, too. So I was like, okay. So we started ministering to him, you know, engaging him with the gospel over time and over time and over time and over time and, and, and began seeing him. Uh, just neighboring him and watching him, he wanted to, he asked us one time, he said, I'll watch the playground if you let me, because we had a playground built for our neighborhood, because they wanted a playground in our, in, in our neighborhood that was safe and drug-free and sex-free and all that, so we, uh, God provided where a playground got built. <laughs> so he was like, I'll guard the playground for you, Pastor. Just let me set up shop with my DVDs. And I said, nah, brother, you can't <laughs> be on the playground <clears throat> to set up shop for the playground God provided that's called Diamond Street Shalom Park. And now you're going to sit up there with your DVDs and say, stay off of that. Hey, I got that new. And I said, that's not going to work, right? I said, that's not going to work. But over time, we began engaging him lovingly. And, and, and begin, God began getting into the heart of the matter. And as we began to engage and see him, some of our young guys that I, I took, when we, when we first started the church, took us out 11 guys and stopped pouring into them. A couple of them, I didn't know would chop it up with him, engage him on the block every now and then, talking to him, building neighborly love with him, helped him with his house, his apartment stuff, trying to help him and led him to Jesus Christ. Led him to Christ. So he converted from Islam to Christianity, right? Beautiful thing, right? Because being a Christian is being born again, not just signing a certificate for membership. Amen. And so, and so he's he now a believer, but now he has all of these different wrestlings. And we encourage him to bring that opportunity where he had a massive heart attack as he was going through that process. And as he was going through that process, God had showed him so much of the different things in his heart and he began to repent of and deal with. And then we had the funeral at the church and there wasn't many people there because he didn't know many people. And I started, I saw all of these different kids that I didn't know he had. There was all from all over the city. They was, they was in it. He was his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren <sighs> came into the building <clears throat> And now, it's no way, this is how, this is how God works. There's no way this is supposed to happen. So, 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 man, I can't tell you the background on one person, but it'd be cool, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be cool. <laughs> but they're sitting there, and I'm preaching my little gospel presentation, and I'm old school, man, so I do gospel-driven altar calls. I do. So, I don't know about y'all, all that, man, me, maybe meet me, and maybe the elect will come out. I preach the gospel and let God worry about the elect. Um, <clears throat> And man, his, almost his whole family put their hands up to place their 
faith in Christ. And so I'm trying not to cry. I'm standing up there like, is there another one? And I'm trying to keep it together. <laughs> and right before my eyes, I didn't know ministering to one neighbor opened me up to other neighbors. And I, I began to repent because in my heart, I don't necessarily sometimes believe in the gospel's might that I preach. And it's seeing the beauty of that family being renewed and transformed by the renewing power of the gospel rocked me. But look at what Jesus says. He wants to upgrade you. Watch what he says to Nate. He says, then, then he said to him, Rabbi, <coughs> you are the son of God, the king of the Jews. So they went from calling him Rabbi to now calling, uh, not, not just calling him the, some type of Messiah that's supposed to free them from Roman rule. Now he's calling him the son of God and the king of Israel. In other words, you're God. No matter, let me just tell you that, when people are around Jesus long enough, their, their view of who he is is going to be upgraded. You see the progression of the text as that's upgraded and they begin to see the beauty of who Christ is but still hasn't seen anything yet. Jesus is like, man, you thought that was like a magic trick or something? Man, you know how much power I got? Watch what I'm finna do. He says, he said, but you said you like because I said I saw you by the fig tree. That's why you believe? Really? That's why you believe. I'm not mad at you, but I got more for you. He says, you will see greater things than these, brother. He said, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. <laughs> it's powerful. So Jesus takes them theologically back to the first book of the Bible. And he takes them back to when Jacob, it's quote-unquote Jacob's ladder, where he saw that this ladder, escalator, whatever you want to call it, touched earth on the bottom, touched heaven on the top. And he says, somebody was standing at the top of it. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on that. Jesus is saying something beautiful. He says, you're going to re-see that vision all over again, but in a more beautiful and practical way that's beyond a vision when you're asleep, but a vision that you're going to see when you're awake. He says, the angels were descending and ascending on me. Why would he say that? The bottom touched earth, the top touched heaven. In other words, the bottom touching earth is God through Christ reconnecting heaven to earth again. Why is that so important? Because that was an impossibility for two polar opposite things to connect. Heaven is the place of God's dwelling place. Heaven is the place where God is worshiped. Heaven is the place of perfection, of freedom, of glory, and of majesty. Earth is the broken down backwater planet that ran away from God's original plan for her. And what happens is, is Jesus is saying that I am one who specializes in connecting things that shouldn't connect. See, that's what we have to begin doing. When you engage your neighbor, you have to engage them in faith. Why do you engage them in faith? Because the gospel is the power of God to those that believe, to the Jew first and to the Jew Greek. Why? Because it is the multivitamin pill of the omnipotence of God in a message. 
That's what the gospel is. You have to listen. You have to believe that it's able. Why even proclaim it? Why talk to anyone about it if it's not that powerful? And believe that it can change your neighbor. Believe that it can change your family. Believe that it can change your friend. Believe that it can change your coworker. Believe that it can change your family member. Believe that it can change you, but also don't forget to believe that it can change you. So the glory of this passage in my estimation, is really, really simple. It's seeing the simplicity of people encountering Jesus and those who are encountering Jesus go talking to other people about their need to encounter Jesus is the core of what it means to love our neighbor, of building common ground and engaging our neighbor and believing that the gospel is able to effectively move, transform, set free, and deliver. And watch it. Jesus, Jesus wasn't just talking to his disciples. Then when he said this, you're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What do you mean? It's not just, it's, not just, it's, it's, it's going to be the eschatological picture of him returning and a new heavens and a new earth. But he's also talking about practically in our lifetimes, as the gospel goes forth and the kingdom of Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection by the power of the Spirit is proclaimed, he will connect things that shouldn't be connected. He will reconnect relationships. He will reconnect family members. He will reconnect things and, and bring people out of brokenness. That's what the gospel specializes in. And I don't know about you, but I'm committed to dedicating my life to living in light of and being challenged by God to, to, to watch him work in ways to connect racial issues in our in our country, um, uh, 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 ethnic issues, uh, inter-ethnic issues, issues that you deal with in Hawaii, issues that we deal with on the mainland. I'm believing that the gospel is the solution. The church of God must stand up with the power of God based on the word of God and the might of the spirit to believe that this one who connects heaven and earth, if he could connect a planet with the third heaven, how in the world is it impossible for him to connect the little minutia in our everyday life? based on the might of the gospel. So stand firm in him and walk out and engage every person, no matter how ice grilled their face is, no matter how much they hate the gospel, no matter how much they believe that the gospel is a mess and hate the church, don't let their face fool you because I've seen so many people talk trash about Elohim, but when the gospel comes, it pierces through and I see no more tough side. I see no more stone face, but I see tears and brokenness because the spirit of God through the word of God and the gospel of God is able to do more than you could ever do. Amen. Father, I pray that we would not run from opportunities, but believe you are able. <coughs> Help us not to communicate to anyone like they're unsavable, God. Oh, uh, none of us were savable. That's why it took a miraculous death, life, and resurrection. Touch us, God, and make us bold, communicators of your love. The fact that you came from heaven to earth and came here to share your life with us. Thank you for that. Will you continue your work and do your work in our lives, God, as we share with those who are in desperate need. In Jesus' name, amen.